And for the rest of us, uh, young at heart, if you turn back to Exodus chapter 20, we'll be looking at verse 3 this morning. This is the first commandment. We've been in our study, and we've, we've uh, are in part three already, and we finally got to the commandments. Amen, right? Um, but I'll stress now, and I, I pray I stress later, that it's, it's important for us to understand the verses preceding the commandment, when God tells us who He is, and He tells Israel uh, what He has done, and He identifies Himself as the one who has extended grace and mercy. The commandments are not meant to be followed out of a fear of God or out of a fear of His judgment. They are to be followed out of a love for God and a desire to commune with Him. And the most important, I think, one of the most important steps to the commandments is to realize uh, them in a covenantal way. God has so loved you and we see here as a pattern, and, it, and it, of course it, it points to the greatest pattern of all of Christ's coming, of the Lord giving us Jesus' name and, and providing salvation through Jesus Christ. And we see our Savior telling us to love God as the greatest commandment with all that we are and our neighbor as ourselves. And we see the, the heartbeat, if you will, of God in the commandments. It is God who wants us to commune into fellowship, and we should never let them slip into some type of legalistic, check-the-box kind of mentality. And it's vital. It's vital. The first commandment is the most important commandment. You get this one wrong, you're not going to get the rest right. At least you're going to have a lot of confusion. This one is paramount because it sets the tone of everything else. Uh, the Lord, we'll read here in a moment, is, is to tell us He is God. We are to have no other, none other, before Him. And we can see in our own culture today, and it's nothing new under the sun, what a society looks like that deviates from this. There was a story back in 1989 of Frederick Nietzsche, uh, who told of a man who came into the city square and he yelled out loud, uh, where is God? I seek God. Where is He? And he goes on to share in the story that some that were around this man did not believe in God in any which way, so they had fun at his expense. They asked him, well, maybe he's gone on a trip. Do you know, do you think God went on a trip somewhere? Did you lose him somehow? Did you forget where you put God? One said, maybe he's like a child and he just saw something shiny that led him away. Another said, well, maybe he's perhaps gone on board of a ship and he's immigrated. But the man sprang to the midst of this situation and with daggers, Nietzsche says, in his eyes, he said once again, and Nietzsche responded with this. Where is God, he cried, I will tell you, we have killed him, you and I. We are all his killers. But how have we done this? How could we swallow up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the horizon? And then he says, what will we do as the earth is set loose from its sun? 
1889. That sounds like today, doesn't it? Now his point is not that God is gone or non-existent, it's just that he's irrelevant. That was his point. Uh, this is the postmodern mind today. If there is a truth, it's not a capital T, it's a lowercase t, and it's relevant. Right? We, our society and our culture rejects any idea of objective truth outside of us. And when that goes away and the subjective truth remains, well, now we hear statements like, my truth, I can be 68 different genders. I can be an animal. I can be a, a pink dinosaur with fuzzy britches. I don't know. It just goes on and on and on. But this is our culture, and this is what is happening and we expect this, I think, from the culture. I don't think it's, it, unregenerate people aren't going to come to a regenerate knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But what saddens us even more is to come to this place to realize that if God doesn't govern, people don't look to God in making their decisions, how much more in the American church, let's take it by an example, is the absence of a real conviction of God. It's really bad that we've so imbibed the culture that we don't really share any conviction in identity with Scripture. In many churches today, God is a little bit irrelevant. I quoted this last week, and I, with Chesterton quote, when people don't believe in God, they'll believe in anything. I want to... To set the tone this morning and to set this in front of you, another quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, Be wise, be reconciled to God. So here is our verse, a few, a few uh, words, and it says this is in uh, chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. Straight into the point. We'll see here in a moment the simple answer and the, the narrow answer, you could say, and the broad one. But let's pray as we go further. Father, we ask now that as we look to your word, that your spirit would challenge us and convict us, especially in areas where we have not or placed you first. And God, help us also to understand uh, these, these commandments in, in a covenantal sense, uh, in a redemption sense. These are not to be followed, Lord, because we have to. In our, in our freedom, we should be wanting to because we love you. And you've given us these commandments not out of a sense of, of judgment, but out of love. So, Lord, let us respond and let us grow, I pray, by your Spirit and by your grace. Get me out of the way that we'd receive what you have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at the beginning of this series, I asked that question, what does God want me to do? What is my duty and responsibility to God? Maybe it's a question you've thought of, maybe you haven't. And we see throughout the scripture, the commands. The Ten Commandments aren't all encompassing, but they're a wonderful beginning place, right, to walk with the Lord. Jesus summarized them. And he told the lawyer, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Right, knowing and acknowledging that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is summarizing these ten commandments. 
So we saw them in beginning at the first sermon that God established this. And we call it the moral law. We saw elements of it in the creation ordinances. This is why we can say it's not attached to what Christ has done away with in his perfect life in fulfilling the law, not abolishing it, but fulfilling it. It's a care of the ceremonial law and the civil law is no more. It's been done away with. But the moral law, these Ten Commandments, are who God is. It's God's heart. And he desires to commune and to walk with us and that we would love him rightly according to his word and love those, our neighbor around us, rightly according to his word. So we don't want to simply come to this and be sterile in our interpretation and go, well, this just simply means have no other gods. Uh, Pastor, I've got no other gods. Good, I've checked the box. Let's move on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's get into it a little bit before you're saying I've got this one good because this speaks to our hearts and it speaks to whatever we place in front of God. So God, we see the importance of this. We see God speaking in this passage in Exodus. If you uh, read over in Deuteronomy, Moses is reapplying the law as the law is reinterpreted and re-given. Uh, we see the Lord uh, write it twice with his finger, right? Maybe we had to do it twice because um, who was the actor who came down and crushed them, played Moses, right? Well, Moses broke them. We also see the importance of, of the Ten Commandments. The Lord places them in the Ark of the Covenant. We are in a new covenant with Jesus, and the Lord tells us they're written on our heart. They are near and dear to our Lord. Uh, it shows us how important they are. And we also see how important they are because it's the finger of God writing them. He wrote them. He writes them on your hearts. So we want to understand them, as I mentioned earlier, in a, in a covenantal way that we are communing with God and following after God. We will see in these commandments that there is a simple, succinct answer, a, a narrow answer, if you will, or a narrow meaning, and there's also a very broad meaning. We can have wonderful application to the point where we think, man, I, everything I do, right, this is, I, it impacts every area and every thought I have, and you're absolutely correct. This is what God is saying. We are to have nothing, no rivals, no competition. He is not simply my God, right? I am His. And I claim Him. So we see at the very beginning of the commandments, we see that, that they, they explain the existence, if you will, of God. Man has a moral center. He's born with it even though we're born into sin and man is uh, outward man or our unregenerate man is suppressing it. And we know as the Spirit enlightens it, we, we have a sense of morality. Where does that come from? The atheist cannot explain that to you. The Christian knows. God communicates he steps into history, he steps into time, he's given us his word, he tells us who he is, he wants you to know him. Not in any name, but this self-existent name, I want you to know me as Yahweh, I am. He's involved in our lives and through the act of deliverance, we see grace precedes obedience. So we come to this, and I just have a few simple points here this morning. My first one is, I asked them in questions, who is to obey the first commandment? 
may seem obvious, but let's look at it. And of course, the, the first uh, word there is you. Who is to obey the commandment? You and me. And I say that because this is personal. The Lord is not looking for a sterile obedience in some sense where I check a box or I think I'm good. No, He wants to have eye-to-eye contact with you as you follow Him. He wants you to know Him. We see this uh, when Christ talks about the narrow path. The wide is the road to destruction, but narrow. But the picture Jesus gives us is eye-to-eye. You come through the narrow gate because we have communed. We have fellowship together. Christ has, has redeemed me. I know Him. He knows me. Come through the narrow gate. See, the Lord wants an intimate walking with you. Uh, Too often, maybe in your own theology, in your own understanding of God, maybe you've placed them so far away or so vast, and I get it. He's vast. He's everywhere. But He's also our intimate God, and He personally wants us to walk with Him. And that's what He's demonstrated when I tried to point out last Sunday. He's given us His name. Today, we know that name as Jesus. Now remember, uh, God is sovereign, He is Lord, He is master of the universe, He is the only true living God, but He is addressing this to each soul. So it becomes very personal. This becomes an exercise of you evaluating your heart. Where do I place the Lord? And again, this is the most important commandment, everything else that follows in line. If you get this one right... But see, every person is required to obey this. This is, as John Frame would say, a matter of lordship. The first commandment is a matter of lordship. Do you recognize Jesus Christ as your Lord? Is he Lord over your life? Well, then if he's Lord over your life and you're saying an affirmative, he is my Lord, my Savior, then this first commandment is addressing that very question. Is there anything else in your life that deviates from Christ being central and Christ being Lord? The first commandment is teaching us worship. Christ, God. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Christ tells us, he points to this, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is, there is no one else. There is to be nowhere else. Paul tells uh, the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. This salvation is individually accomplished. And following after God, this is your personal responsibility. Do you have any other gods in front of Him? Are you obeying Him? There's the question. We are held accountable to it. So there's the first, the first element is you must realize this is personal. God did not just simply send His Son into the world to die at Calvary so you can enjoy that. He wants you, uh, which is great and amen, but He wants you to walk humbly with Him. Uh, Not just on the Lord's Day on Sunday, but every day of the week. Are you communing? Are you praying? Are you putting Him first? Is He there? 
What else is grabbing your attention? What else is leading you away? What is, what is vying for your heart right now? That's a personal question. So the tone here is, you, you must. It is on you, it is on me to, to put the Lord God number one. So we want to ask the question, okay, well, what is required? If I'm going to follow this and, and he's my God and I belong to him, what, what is required? Well, here we begin to really see the issue of the heart. As I mentioned earlier, there is a narrow uh, meaning to all of these commandments. Uh, a succinct, simple answer we can say that we'll have no other gods. Uh, there's also a very broad meaning, which has a different understanding, or it adds to it and it begins to, to involve other applications of life. Uh, the narrow meaning would be simply uh, forbidding any type of polytheism. We're not going to worship any other god. We're not going to worship God along with other gods. We're not going to do any of those things. There is our simple, narrow answer. The broader meaning is forbidding any competition, any competition at all with the true God for our allegiance, our obedience, and our affection. So now we must ask our hearts, where is my affection at? Where is my obedience? See, it is a matter of lordship. Is Christ first or is he on the list somewhere down the line? Now again, we are not to take this, and I'll say this a few times, and understand these commandments outside of a covenantal relationship. We are in covenant. God has placed the the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. God tells us in the New Covenant they're written on our hearts. This is a covenant. This is walking with God. This is His desire and your freedom as Christ set you free to say, I love you, Lord. I'm going to follow you this way. Here's what's required. We have allegiance to Christ, allegiance to God, and nothing else. So stated positively, we could say we must acknowledge that there is only one true living God. We serve Him with our whole hearts. We must turn to the Lord to be saved. He alone is God. He's the only way to God, right? Through Christ. We must love the Lord our God with all our hearts. We must seek to walk before God and be blameless. We must sanctify the Lord, as James says, set Him apart as, as the focus of my life. And then we give an answer to the hope that lies within us. We must realize that we cannot serve two masters. Cannot serve God in money. Now, stated negatively, we must have no other gods whatsoever. We must never believe in false gods. The Westminster Larger Catechism, question 104, is asking this question, what is required? Here is the answer. The duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly by thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, Desiring, fearing of him, believing him, and trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him, giving all praise and thanks and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man, 
being careful in all things to please Him, and sorrowful when anything He is offended, and walking humbly with Him. We start to see it expanded. It's not a simple little thing of having no other gods. No, it begins to reveal our hearts. Where is your heart today? Where is your allegiance today? This is what's required. You can see the Lord, our God, is a jealous God. Have nothing that competes with me. Well, as we see in the commandments, there is uh, the requirements. And there's also what the, the other side of the commandment, what is forbidden? There's also positive action. Well, what is forbidden? And as I mentioned, there is a short answer to this, and there is a lengthy one, a narrow and a broad. I believe in the Baptist uh, catechism, asking this question, what is forbidden? The answer is succinct. What is forbidden in the first commandment? Well, it's, what's forbids is the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God our God and the giving that worship and glory to any other which is due Him alone. And you can see right now that if you've ever had that Sunday where your favorite team was playing and you decided to go do that and not come to church, what are you breaking? You don't have to say it out loud. We're all on the same page on that one, aren't we? So that's narrow meaning. Listen to how the divines of Westminster, divines of the, of the uh, larger catechism, listen to how they expanded this. Okay, get, a, get a good breath. Hold on. Bear with me. Listen to the expanse of what is forbidden. The sins forbidden in the first commandment are atheism. In denying or not having a God, idolatry, and having or worshiping more gods than one or any with or instead of the true God, the not having and avouching him for God and our God, the omission or neglect of anything due to him required in this commandment, ignorance, forgetfulness, misapprehensions, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of him, bold and curious searching into his secrets, all profaneness, hatred of God, self-love, self-seeking, and all other inordinate and immoderate, excuse me, setting of our mind, will, and affections upon other things, and taking them off from him in whole or in part, vain crudility, unbelief, heresy, misbelief, distrust, despair, incorrigibleness, and insensibleness under judgments, Hardness of heart, pride, presumption, carnal security, tempting of God, using unlawful means and trusting in, in unlawful means. Uh, carnal delights and joys, corrupt, blind, and indiscreet zeal, lukewarmness, and deadness in the things of God, estranging ourselves and apostatizing from God, uh, praying or giving any religious worship to saints, Angels or any other creatures, all compacts and consulting with the devil and hearkening to his suggestions, making men the lords of our faith and conscience, sliding and despising God and his commands, resisting and grieving of his spirit, discontent and impatience at the dispensations, 
uh, charging him foolishly for the evils he inflicts on us and ascribing the praise of any good we either are, have, or can do to fortune, idols, ourselves, or any other creature. Just get all that. What is, what is forbidden? See, the point of this, and this is hard for us to go, wow, what do I do? I, did you notice in the middle of that that lukewarmness is a breaking of the first commandment? And why is that? Because if there's lukewarmness towards God, there is something else that is vying for your affection. They were right. We could pose that question. What's vying for your affection? So, right, how do we come to this and go, oh my goodness, how do, we, how, do we, how do we work through these things? There's so much here. I try to summarize this in three simple points. Uh, number one, you know, remembering, again, that, that God is the supreme God and we're in a relationship. We're in fellowship. We're communing with him. But number one, man is not to set himself up as God. Okay, what does that mean? Well, man is not to believe that himself or any other being, any other person who's walked on the universe to be as a God, right? Man is not to deny God, uh, declaring that there's no God. That's atheism. That was listed in the catechism. Man is not to question God. Now here we realize throughout the Psalms there are many questions of God, but there's always a resolve to the obedience and following of God. Here they are stating that there is simply, uh, you know, I'm not so sure. You, you perform for me. You do a miracle for me, Jesus, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Man is not to declare himself the supreme being or nothing. There's, there's no humanism we were to seek, no secularism as technology, no intellectualism. I'm smarter. I've arrived. What does God know? We see that over and over again. Uh, we have to reject the creation because uh, we were there 65 million years ago, and I can tell you how it played out. Well, that's what the writing in textbooks. Number two, man is not to believe in any other beings, right, as our God. There's no sense in our, our we're to reject any pantheism. We see this throughout our culture. We see it in the movies all over the place. Man is not to look to the sky, the earth, or to animals and say, oh, that's God. Let's go follow this. Remember why uh, uh, Moses broke the first set of the commandments. Came down and they were bowing down to a what? There's a reason the second commandment is make no idols. Don't, don't lose sight of that. Number three, man is not to believe in many gods, like polytheism. That's the point of it, right? He is the God. He is the one. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I am God. There is no other. Christians are monotheists. We serve one God, right? Number four, man is not to believe that all things are contained in God, right? Everything is like a panentheism, like masses or, or the... the atoms and protons and such somehow equate to God. We're not to do that. You've got to realize that the first commandment says that everything else in our culture that people are claiming as God is a lie. There is one God. Everything else is from the imaginations of people. 
That is Satan who desperately wants, right? So remember, he tries to tempt. Well, he did try to tempt our Savior, but one of them was to bow down, bow down and worship me. He wants anything else to be worshipped than God. Why do we see a plethora of all these false gods? Here's why. For the Christian who is a monotheist who knows, no, my God is Jesus. Uh, He is the second person of the Trinity. I serve him. Therefore, I must cast aside any of these other notions. And the point is there is no rival interest. Christian, is there an interest in your heart that is dividing between your allegiance from God and something else? See, man is not to set anything before God. That's the point of it. Don't set any God before me. No rival interests. So when we struggle with pride and we're idolizing ourselves, what are we doing? We are looking to us and not to the Lord. When the ambitious person sees in their career success and identity, what are they doing? When the covetous person says, I just need a little bit more, who are they bowing down to? When the greedy person does the same thing, whether it's for money or or some type of, of carnal thing from our society, what happens when uh, the loving husband or loving wife loves their spouse more than God? It becomes very practical. The Lord is saying there is nothing. He is the I am, the true living God. It is the fool, the Lord tells us, who says in his heart, there is no God. It is God who said, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. He is God. That's why Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him the one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. See, today we can make pretty much anything into a God. That's the point. If you would read that and say, I have no other gods before him, I'm good. Well, let's look at your heart and let's see how many different other idols that are floating around in there. What is taking you away? What is, what is keeping you from the Lord's Day worship? What is keeping you from following after Him? What is it? Many people today focus on themselves, right? Let's just do what is pleasing and satisfying. Let's, let's create our own values. Uh, let's just make this whole thing relative, very popular in our culture. Let's live for what we want, and we can exalt whatever, and that, in essence, becomes who they worship. You become what you worship. So people today, what what do they look to? They look to science. They look to animals or images or money or property or position or recognition, fame, career, family, sex, food. It goes on and on and on. Any of these things can vie for your allegiance. And it's warring right now. Many of you, I believe, this morning are probably taking a list, itemizing, going, yeah, that might need to change. 
If you're going to come, my first point out of this sermon is who is to obey this. It is the personal commitment. It is you and I. And here is the warning. So we see that we are to obey it. We see the requirements in it. We see what is forbidden in it. That it is a question of lordship. It is a question of covenant. It is a question of redemption. It is a question of, of worship and love to God. God doesn't come and come down in this and say, here are the consequences, Israel, if you don't do this. No, the whole point here is to simply warn us. God wants us to love him. Remember, God is omnipresent. He sees all that you do. He hears all that you say. And of course, he's omniscient, meaning he knows what you're thinking. This is what the Lord is saying before me. You know, some may say, well, if it's on the Lord's day. As long as I don't do this one thing on the Lord's day, I'm good the rest of the week. That is not what God is saying. Ever before him. So what are, as we look at this, the motivation of the commandments is not the fear of the judgment of God. That's why I said it's a, it's a redemption. It is love. It is a covenant. It is a commune we have with God. This should be in your own freedom, as the Lord has set you free, to desire this. This should be a mark in you saying, I want to put him first. I don't want any idols. I don't want to use his name in vain, and I want to honor his day. They tell me how to worship my God. That should be a desire in us. And remember, the picture of, of Egypt is a picture of the world, and uh, Israel's slavery is a picture of sin, right? We see this over and over again, but it's God who loves us. It's God who's provided the deliverance, and for us, it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's our picture, but here's the warning. What happens when the Christian's love is a little bit calloused? Number one, there are consequences upon God. The Bible says the person who does not, and these are those who are in fellowship, communing with God, that God is cut to the heart. It causes pain, as for Samuel says in 8-7. Our Lord is, is wounded by our lack of allegiance. What else? Well, the person who won't, it causes the Lord's name to be blasphemed. People will look upon Christians. We hear it over and over, you bunch of hypocrites, on and on and so forth. The integrity of God is questioned. There are also consequences to us, to our own walk. The, We've come into covenant with the Lord and we love God and, and we are not putting him first and, and we just are choosing other things. Well, then uh, we are ultimately going to follow after someone else. You're going to be led astray by lifeless idols or man-made gods. We see this uh, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul writes about it. The exchange, a life of glory for a life that doesn't profit comes worthless, as James says in 2 James 2. Uh, we might experience a life of emptiness and trouble, missing out on spiritual rest and peace, free, of, free conscience, the clearing of my conscience, the, the satisfaction of knowing eternally where I'll be. You may live and struggle with hope. I, I live with hopelessness. Are you coming back and casting your gaze upon 
the Lord? Are you placing your allegiance there? Come back. He is the one who gives hope. Uh, Some will get enslaved to sin, Galatians chapter 4, when we don't put the Lord first and pursue him. You'll live a hypocritical life, one that denies the truth. You will defile your mind and your conscience. That's what Paul tells Titus chapter 1. You begin to live illogical, a way that is, that is more in line with the fool than those who are redeemed. You will fall away by different temptations. Something shiny leads you away. It becomes easier. You will place your faith in other signs and wonders, as John talks about in John 4. You will be blinded in your mind. Your mind will not be renewed. You won't think rightly. These are the consequences. You begin to follow after those things that, are, that have your heart or have your allegiance. Why is this the most important commandment? It's the most important because if you don't get this one right, all the other roads head to the gutter. That's what I would tell my sons when they were younger. When you get old enough to get married, lead your family to the Lord. Go there directly because every other road goes to the gutter. Of course, with young boys, you can make the gutter the most disgusting place on the earth. And to tell them that is what it is. Set this, number one, your heart here. Think about the consequences for those outside of the Lord. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will displease their creator and bring upon them his wrath. They will be separated eternally. They will experience the judgment of our holy God. They will not enter heaven. They will face fierce judgment. They will experience the agony of hell. They will cause our God to hide his face from them. As we see in these simple words, you I have no other gods before me. The Lord is serious about our devotion, our allegiance, our following, our worship, our praise. He is the one God. As I work through this sermon, and I know I, I, know I have a lot of information, and I covered a lot of things, I came across Philip Ryken who, who says, you know, you can summarize this this morning if this helps you, and I put this in my notes, I thought this might help you to ask yourself two questions. The first one he says, ask yourself, what do I love? What do I love? And he goes on to say, we need to inquire of ourselves as to our passions and obsessions and ask if they are replacing God in our hearts. Church, what do you love? Second question, he said, is, what do you trust? And he goes on to say, where do you run when there is trouble? What gives you security? So as a way to guide us into a better understanding of what the Lord is requiring of us, maybe we should ask ourselves, what do I love? What do I trust? And the most important thing, it goes back to my first point, 
you are to personally obey this. The Lord wants you to walk humbly with him. Wants to have that right relationship. He has told us over and over. He has demonstrated as a picture of redemption, as a picture of what Christ has done in the new covenant. We are to obey it. Here's what the Lord requires of us. Out of love, here's what we are to forbid. Here's how we guard our hearts. And here is the warning. Here is the warning. And I go back to what Nietzsche said. Is the Lord in your life, is he relevant? Is this something I do on Sunday? Or do you have a deep, growing, meaningful relationship with the God who made you? It's time to start looking at the other things that we call God's. Maybe we wouldn't call them that, but they're acting that way. There's to be no compromise, no uh, percentage of allegiance given away. We think about the modern church. What would you think of a pastor who wouldn't open the Bible and preach it? Is he being obedient to the first commandment? So, like Martin Lloyd Jones said, be wise. Be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these simple words, yet so profound, so life-changing. We're so grateful, God, that you know us better than we know ourselves, and this is the most important commandment, is to love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and, and you are revealing to us how we do that. And so I pray for every soul here this morning, Lord, that as we are evaluating our own hearts, our own allegiance, as we're evaluating our lordship to Christ and our, and our allegiance to Christ, and Lord, I pray your spirit would reveal in us areas that need to change, areas that must change. Lord, that in us you would, you would have the, the, all of our hearts, that we would be those out of love, Lord, not out of out of some type of fear, but out of love because we love you and because we are in the new covenant with you because of Christ. So Lord, let, let your truths resonate in us. Let these words convict us, challenge us, grow us. But Lord, let these words not turn us away from you, but ever closer to you. As we look, Lord, the other areas of Scripture, the other commands of Scriptures, the areas that we need to implement into our lives, grow us that way that we'd have an ever-growing confidence. You are God. You are our God. Lord, you have all of our heart. Let us grow in that relationship. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and we pray all this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.